Welcome to ShopCast, talking retail strategy with your host, Michael Dart. In this program, we'll spotlight the changes you need to know about in the world of retail shopping and help you plan for the future of the industry. Now, here is Michael Dart. Hello and welcome to ShopCast. I'm Michael Dart and I'm your host. And I'm really excited about today's show. And the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to be talking very extensively and deeply around the new psychology of the consumer and how that's playing out in many different ways in which the consumer is spending their money, uh, how they're looking for for certain items, what they're looking for in those items, and particularly focused on the pet sector, which uh, is a particular interest for me, uh, both from business-wise as well as personally as well. Uh, So I'm really excited about that, and I have a a great guest who's going to be joining me to talk about it today. Uh, Her name is Blythe Jack, and she is a managing director at TSG Consumer Partners. And for those of you who uh, may not be familiar uh, with TSG and some of the things that they've done, they have actually been at the forefront of um, consumer trends uh, for the last, uh, I want to say, nearly 30, 40 years or so, incredibly Uh, impressive track record in terms of everything that they've been doing. Uh, The type of investments which uh, you may be familiar with uh, would include companies like uh, BrewDog, Pop Chips, uh, Vitamin Water, Elf, Smart Balance, uh, Dogswell, and uh, very recently, I want to say, Dutch Brothers Coffee for people who know that as well. So uh, it's really exciting to get an opportunity to be spending some time talking Uh, to somebody who spends an awful lot of time thinking about what is motivating, driving the consumer, what is important to them from a very deep psychological perspective, uh, and therefore how that's going to manifest itself in terms of what they're looking for and why they're looking for it. And that's what we're going to go into today. And uh, uh, it's a topic that in my book uh, that I co-authored, Retail Seismic Shift, that we spend quite a lot of time talking about in terms of how the consumer has moved up Maslow's hierarchy, how their needs are are changing and shifting. And quite frankly, in this incredibly social media driven age, how that is both shifting more than we've expected an accelerated rate and in different ways than uh, that we've expected. And all of that's having a pretty significant impact on how people are shopping and what they're looking for. So, um, as I say, real excited to have Blythe Jack join me. And Blythe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So to, just to get going, uh, I wonder if you could share a little bit about your background, your career, um, what got you interested in consumer and retail and investing, and uh, and what potentially you've been up to uh, recently. What, what are you seeing out there? For sure. Uh, so I've been in consumer private equity for uh, just about 19 years now. Uh, have spent the last uh, near eight years at uh, TSG, uh, which you were kind enough to describe uh, earlier in your comments, and prior to that uh, at another uh, consumer private equity group. So I've had a long uh, career in uh, in consumer. I wouldn't say that it was uh, perfectly calculated, uh, like most people coming out of college. It just sort of happened. Um, but uh, forever I've had uh, a real passion for brands and trying to understand purchase uh, behavior amongst consumers. Consumers, um, and so uh, as far as the uh, perfect job with respect to my passions and interests, uh, I think I found it. 
Uh, some of the uh, investments that we've made are, are the ones that you described. Uh, we invest uh, across the branded uh, consumer market, and funny enough, we, uh, we actually have made several pet investments, including Radio Systems, which owns the brand PetSafe, which is a, a dog management, uh, behavioral management um, mm-hmm. products company, and also owns uh, Invisible Fence. So uh, some neat companies uh, across the continuum of consumer touching all different segments. Um, we are growth investors, and as a result, we look for companies that are experiencing tailwinds that can be a function of either demographic change, uh, psychographic change, which I think is most paramount to this discussion today, channel mm-hmm. changes, uh, any sort of disruption that's uh, creating uh, a tailwind for a particular subsector uh, creates uh, interest for us. And we certainly see that uh, in a variety of categories, ranging from health and wellness to pet um, and expect uh, more of that to continue. That's great. I hope I characterized uh, TSG uh, accurately, but uh, if not, feel free to add some more. But I'm curious, when you think about a brand that you're going to invest in, uh, what is uh, or are some of the, the key elements that uh, you really look for, that you really like, and, uh, and that have fitted into TSG's portfolio over the years? We are very entrepreneurial uh, in, in our in our focus in that we we, we really seek to back founders and uh, mm-hmm. more than half of our investments uh, are in partnership with founders as uh, a minority partner with TSG as a minority partner and um, the reason for that is that um, you know in the consumer market the uh, competitive barriers to entry are so low and getting lower everything's visible to everyone and through social media people's innovations yeah. become. Uh, very visible to the whole world quickly. Um, and therefore, um, you know, how do you protect against that? We found uh, that we most effectively protect against that uh, competitive dynamic uh, by virtue of investing behind visionary founders. These founders tend to care first and foremost about product and innovation, about culture uh, at the company, and about brand. And we found that those are the key levers to uh, creating enduring success and long-term brand equity. So um, it's a founder-driven strategy historically, by and large, because of these reasons. Um, You know, what we look for beyond that are, of course, brands that are uh, creating very unique uh, connections with their consumers um, and that are, you know, the brand is truly driving purchase behavior um, above price. And uh, that isn't to mean that we don't uh, consider the role of price in purchase decisions, but uh, there's something that often is almost irrational. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's somewhat qualitative in that regard. And then uh, lots of other quantitative things with respect to size, growth rate and sector. But uh, as far as the secret sauce, when we're successful, I believe it's in those more qualitative factors that we're able to accurately uh, predict. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we build off the, um, the point you just raised there about the connection with the consumer and you know, obviously these visionaries which you've partnered with for many years in, in so many different categories really have a deep understanding of that. Um, what do you think is going on with the consumer now? And, 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 and to some degree, as you think about building this connection, it requires understanding the psychology that we, I talked about in the opening and, and what the consumer is looking for, what's driving their behaviors. I wonder if you could give me a sense of you know, some of the forces and the pressures that you see are really currently driving consumer behavior that are beginning to manifest themselves in terms of the product categories that they are spending a lot more in and the types of companies that they're looking for? Well, I would say that um, 
that we've created a bit of a fear-based society. Uh, the current administration is not exactly helping with that. Um, and to the, put it mildly. you know, total, I'm sorry. I just saying to put it mildly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, that has that in combination with the ubiquity of uh, the smartphone and our constant uh, exposure to the onslaught of, um, you know, terrible things, sometimes true, sometimes fake, <laughs> in mm-hmm. this world around us, um, that we're constantly, um, you know, you know, being battered with. Uh, every time we open our phone, there's something, you know, more horrifying than the last time. And so there's uh, obviously, I think we'd all agree, a increasing lack of civility and lack of humanity in our society. And I think that these are breeding lots of interesting consumer spending behaviors. You're certainly seeing it in health and wellness as mm-hmm. people, you know, seek, uh, you know, to to medicate through, you know, more natural, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, products and services. Um, you know, there's, there's some increasing debate about um, how, how, how much that's doing good for us. I'm, I know there's lots of pockets uh, whereby, you know, either it's a, a massage or meditation are good for us, but I think the money-making, uh, you know, dynamic of any sector as it's experiencing success begins to take over. And um, I think that a lot of consumers have probably over-indexed on the uh, investment in you know, products and services to serve this wellness need that we are all feeling uh, as a result of these uh, tech-ensconced uh, societal ills uh, that, you know, really are, are raking on us uh, every day. That's the other really category, interesting. Yeah, the other yeah. category that we'll talk a bit about um, where I think is experiencing a similar, uh, you know, flight of consumer demand is in and around the pet uh, sector, and we can get to that separately. So, so your view, there's you articulate at least, um, is that because we've had so much anxiety and there's a lot of, as you say, fear in our society across many different dimensions. Obviously, what's going on now, but you know, you can go back ten years and the financial crisis and the fears a lot of people had about losing, you know, their housing, their jobs, their uh, their nest eggs, uh, plus all of the global tensions that you see. That's driving people into categories where. Uh, again, I think your expression you use is almost self-medicating, like health and wellness, and that people get a tremendous amount of satisfaction out of that. They get a lot of messages about how good it's being uh, for them in terms of how uh, whatever activity it is is, is going to benefit their lives. And that is is one of the fundamental reasons that you're seeing categories like that really starting to boom. And, and do you think that's going to continue? Um, so first off, did I characterize that correctly? And then secondly, do you think it's going to continue? I, I yes, you absolutely did, and yes, I absolutely do <laughs> think it's going to continue. Uh, unfortunately, like it or not, I believe that uh, the internet is here to stay, as is the uh, smartphone, uh, keeping us ever connected to it. So I don't imagine that's going to change. And you know, we we only learn more and more about the uh, the atrocities that uh, humans are you know regularly inflicting on each other uh, and and our planet. Uh, to, I think, continue to breed these fears. So I, I absolutely think that the fear uh, driving factors will continue to operate and people will uh, seek solace uh, to medicate the soul, and that will take lots of different flavors and, of course, is one of the major, major driving factors behind uh, cannabis adoption. Mm-hmm. That, that's, a, that's a great point as well, that uh, uh, we're seeing just a massive expansion within that particular category 
uh, as well. And it, again, does seem to be one of those ones where people are seeking some sort of self-medication, some sort of uh, uh, way of stepping out of a torrent of bad news that you see and anxiety that pervades our society. Do you think that this used to be uh, this is something that's new or do you think it used to be addressed by other products, other categories that people no longer get that sort of medicative um, benefit from? Because I do know that, you know, going back some years, people used to spend a lot in apparel and that used to give them a tremendous uh, a lot of satisfaction. It seems like that's diminished pretty significantly. So uh, curious how you think it plays out in different sectors right now and, and whether or not uh, – it's just a really new phenomenon or it's something that's just changed between categories? I think it's the uh, state of the human condition, and uh, that has evolved over time. Um, but just as you've seen, you know, humans chase alcohol, gambling, shopping, yeah. whatever the uh, whatever the activity, uh, there's a recurring theme there. And while those um, outlets may have shifted, uh, they're just being replaced by something else, which from the outside appears uh, somewhat more innocuous uh, as compared to uh, the ills of, of, of alcohol and gambling and, and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, but I don't see uh, any any reprieve coming uh, with respect to uh, the anxiety that we're all experiencing in a world where transparency, sometimes opaque transparency, even if that's a more oxymoron, um, yeah. I think we can all uh, relate to, uh, is, is just a factor of life. It's how we do our jobs. Um, you really can't live without being exposed to so many of these concepts. And while I hope it'll settle down a bit, potentially in 2020 <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. or 2021, um, you know, I don't believe that, um, you know, this world's going to get any easier. And therefore, the question uh, is what, you know, from, from as an investor, where are the categories um, where these behaviors, um, you know, will take root and therefore grow? Um, you know, I think, you know, going back to health and wellness, there's also another angle to that, which speaks very much to retail psychology, which I believe is somewhat described as um, social status uh, badge of honor. Uh, and the more you can participate in <clears throat> spin classes and yoga classes and meditations and retreats, <laughs> it's uh, almost become a societal badge of um, success um, or um, uh, where you rank in the society. And so I find that to be kind of an interesting new development um, is uh, somewhat of an elitist factor to a lot of health and wellness brands that um, are, you know, just as we humans do, uh, signifying to one another where we stand in the social system. And Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're definitely beginning to see signs of that. That's really interesting. It sort of does explain why people have yeah, multiple gym memberships and they're going to multiple different types of uh, of uh, workout classes, etc., because they get a lot of social status and benefit from participating in those activities. Um, that's a really and posting interesting. Posting them on Instagram. That, that that's right, and uh, I would have said Facebook. Maybe that dates me a little bit in terms of <laughs> where people are posting now. Uh, we're going to take a break now, and then I'd love to do a deep dive into how these trends are playing out within what has been one of the most uh, explosive categories over the last decade, decade or so, and that's uh, the pet sector and the pet industry. So I'm here with Blythe Jack, uh, who is uh, uh, an investor and visionary in uh, in consumer products and all the trends that are taking place with the consumer, and we'll be right back after a short break. Music. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Only 12% of companies from the original Fortune 500 list remain on the list today. How do you ensure your organization stands the test of time? A.T. Carney works with Fortune 500 companies every day to answer this question. Visit atcarney.com to find out more. The American consumer market will soon include six generations for the first time. Prepare for the era of personalization and total connectivity with insights from consumers at 250. Join the conversation at atcarney.com forward slash consumers dash 250. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're tuned in to ShopCast, talking retail strategy, featuring Michael Dart as your host. Now, back to this week's program. Well, welcome back. I'm Michael Dart, uh, partner at AT Carney, uh, co-author of two books on retail, uh, New Rules of Retail and Retail Seismic Shift. And I'm joined here today by uh, Blythe Jack, and we're spending time talking about the new consumer psychology and what's driving consumer behavior. And uh, Blythe, we left off, we'd spent a little bit of time talking about the fear and anxiety that pervades our society and how that's manifesting. And it seems as though one category that people are spending a lot of time, a lot of money and get a huge amount of benefit from is in the pet category. And it may be a particular antidote to everything that you were talking about. Uh, So I was wondering if you could uh, very specifically sort of link what you see is happening in society and how that is playing out within the pet industry and particularly with regard to dogs, which have just become uh, such an increasing feature of the household and also have taken up an incredible amount of share of wallet in most households as well. Including mine. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, mine. (laughs) Well, it's such a wonderful opportunity to to be able to combine your personal interest with your profession, and uh, this is a perfect case in point for that uh, in, in my life. Um, a dog lover. I have always been and um, spend an exorbitant amount of time, money, and energy uh, loving my dogs. And I noticed around me, I could see that happening more and more. And I started to think about, I wonder why that's happening. Uh, At the same time, I was thinking about uh, pet as a sector. There's been a lot of private equity money flow into the category, including from us. We've made two investments in pet uh, over the years and currently have a large uh, investment in one company uh, in the category. And, you know, thinking about long-term tailwinds. And as I started to really reflect on both of those categories, all of a sudden there was a convergence of conclusions that began to rapidly occur for me. And I started by going really deep on reflection in my own life and trying to understand, well, what is it that is happening between me and these dogs that I love so much? And as I became more clear as to why that was happening, it was also clear to me that this is a pretty major phenomenon across humans. And the more I talked to my girlfriends about it um, or other friends, I started to recognize an incredibly powerful pattern here that's deep and systemic. Um, And I can share with you a few observations, um, but it really started with, you know, the very fundamentals of why humans and dogs have always had this incredible 
bond with one another. And, and of course, at the top of my list <laughs> is mm-hmm. unconditional love. And uh, in a world where we're experiencing un, you know, lots of conditions and very little conditional yeah. lo- unconditional love, um, you know, and a lot of judgment, um, dogs really are you know, the perfect salvation from that affliction. Uh, they truly, uh, you know, they, they are the you know, paradigm of unconditional love and no judgment. And that feels really good in this environment. So I think there's a, there's a medicative quality without any sort of um, medication that, that comes with their love. They're well-known, of course, to relieve stress and anxiety and is a reason why they've been introduced to so many different trauma scenes or mm-hmm. uh, rest homes or children's uh, classrooms or even offices because of this anxiety-reducing quality that they so inherently have. And then lastly, you know, the, the big factor, um, you know, I think is living in the presence. These phones, these smartphones and technology cause us to live uh, at least uh, in, in many ways cognitively uh, in, a, in a different plane. And we all, I think, recognize certainly those of us getting older that our most precious resource is time. And to not be living in the present is to be um, truly missing out. And uh, that, for me, has been a major factor of my dogs. And, you know, with my dogs, I am fully present. There's no ego in my relationships Mm -hmm. with my dogs. It is the most authentic version of myself. Um, And my dogs cause me to exist in a fully present way because that's how they live with me. And that's how they live their lives. So when I think about those factors, um, unconditional love, no judgment, living in the present, uh, reduction of fear and anxiety, I think those are all major hallmarks of powerful antidotes for this uh, very stressful and anxiety-ridden society we have produced uh, that I don't see any um, reason will will, uh, decline at all in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so it seems as though one of the big drivers of that, and and I know in our conversations uh, you've highlighted it, which is really social media, isn't it, is because the increase in social media, it seems to generate this sense that we're not doing enough you know, our friends are posting phenomenal pictures on vacation. You know, we aren't necessarily rich enough or thin enough, as you say, smart enough, cool enough. And that that increasing level of dissatisfaction seems to have been magnified over the last five, 10 years or so because of social media. And therefore, uh, just to, to build on the point that you're saying that uh, uh, the non-judgment that animals offer, the fact that they're not really uh, interested in whether you look good or you know, not, or you've gained weight or not, or what, whatever's going on, they just seem to be just totally present, loving you as you are, is, as you say, just an incredibly powerful antidote to that. And uh, uh, it seems to me that that, that dynamic is not going to change unless I'm, I'm missing something. No, you know, I increasingly view my dogs as, you know, a true sanctuary away from all the uh, stress and anxiety of the world. And, you know, nothing... Uh, uh, <laughs> symbolizes that better than, you know, the proverbial greeting when you arrive mm-hmm. home and, um, you know, the, the appreciation, the gratitude um, that uh, dogs have so authentically for us without us ever having to try for that affection. Um, it's so incredibly genuine um, that it is uh, wildly soothing, and we don't get that from our friendships and our family the way, frankly, we should. And do you think that uh, the, the reason, you know, folks like yourself, myself and others so love dogs and want to spend money on it, is it because it pulls you away from this social media 
world because to some degree while you're connected a lot of people also express just tremendous feelings of loneliness uh, isolation and although you know they're connected on the screens and not really necessarily having a lot of contact but but the dogs or any pet quite frankly just immediately pulls you as you said into the present moment and away from that feeling of isolation because you you have to connect with them because they're demanding it in a you know quite often joyous and playful way for sure. Um, I believe very much that that uh, is uh, a, a major factor of, you know, the, the value that dogs deliver to our lives. Um, and, of course, there's uh, so much in, in the form of um, mutual uh, benefit to our relationships with animals. And, you know, as far as indulging uh, these sweet, uh, sublime creatures, you know, unlike children, where, you know, spoiling a child often runs with uh, some, some perilous <laughs> side effects, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not really teaching your children to survive in a cruel world. You know, with a dog, you really can, um, you know, engage and indulge um, your dog in a way, you know, that, uh, one, they so appreciate, two, without any risk that you're not going to set them up for success in life. And it's uh, it's sort of a guilty pleasure with really no consequence other than love. And I don't know of many things like that in my life. And so I think the more that you can have uh, something that you know is so good for you and feels so good, those things don't always go hand in hand, <laughs> mm-hmm. feeling good uh, and, and, and having a positive uh, outcome. You know, with a dog, uh, you know, that, that, is in, that lives in spades. So I, uh, I think that's also part of the human psychology at this particular juncture. And, of course, you know, we've been, uh, you know, the world has made for so many uh, proliferations of food and treats and services, giving us more and more ways in which we can spoil our dog. And, of course, as we eat better as humans and become more and more in tune with health and wellness for ourselves, the natural um, um, you know connection you, you know you, you you make with that is that my pet is part of my family, and if I'm eating organically, why wouldn't my dog? And when you start to understand uh, the horrible ingredients of so many uh, pet food companies, even some of the new ones we all know have been defective, um, you know you start to you know question well why would I give my this fabulous sublime creature who fulfills so many critical needs why would I give them anything less when all I want is them to live as long as possible and as health, healthfully as possible. So I think those things, uh, those things go hand in hand. So the skeptics will sometimes say, well, that's great when the economy's booming and I'm doing well, but uh, uh, if tough times emerge, we'll just revert back to treating dogs the way we used to. I, you know, from everything you said, obviously, doesn't sound like you believe that, but I just wanted to you know, get your perspective on, on that argument that people offer. Well, I think the human psyche has, you know, uh, reached a place where it's hard to go backwards from that. The nice Mm -hmm. thing about dogs is, you know, you know, they don't know how much anything costs. All they really want is your time and attention. And you can give that equally in a recession as you can in a good economy. So switching gears a little bit and talking about how investors then think about categories like this, what, what, what do you think are the implications of these trends, you know, for investors. Obviously, there's been a lot of money that's gone uh, into pet from private equity and other sources. I think both of the uh, the major pet retailers are owned by private equity. A lot of the uh, um, the brands inside the store seem to be getting investment. Obviously, you've made some yourselves as well. What do you think are the implications of this uh, as we look forward in terms of how investors are going to treat this category 
And maybe related, we talked about health and wellness. Which other categories or other products do you think would also benefit from a lot of these uh, these trends and ideas that uh, you've uh, mentioned so far? Yeah, well, there's still a lot of inefficiencies in the pet market, largely because of the retail distribution channel, which historically was limited to two large specialty players, Petco and PetSmart, uh-huh. and then a whole plethora of independent, highly fragmented mom-and-pop operators. So the channel dynamics um, you know, are still evolving. And, of course, there's Amazon and the mass players who also serve this category, but I would argue don't cater to it. So all the right. sort of more specialty kinds of items that a consumer might seek out um, are harder to find and less fun to find, I would say, in those environments as compared to specialty retail, whether it's large box or independent. Um, so don't, that don't whenever there's you've also, any... You've also that? got... Che- I just want to say you've also got Chewy in there now. Most people would probably be familiar with the, uh, the online retailer Chewy, who's just gobbling up share, it seems to me, as well. Um, you know, just to change all of those channel dynamics that you're talking about. That exactly, uh, and I think online. the rise of Chewy is emblematic to the you know lack of choices that consumers have or convenience. Yeah. Um, you know, Chewy's a little challenging to dissect with respect to its long-term viability because the company hasn't made money yet, but it's certainly ca- captured uh, much in the way of consumer. Um, market share, um, and I mm-hmm. think that that again speaks volumes to what's lacking uh, in this category. You know, when I think about opportunities uh, going forward, I think about services as, as a very big opportunity. Um, you know, it's always hard because services are, of course, human generated and um, mm-hmm. and local. Um, so to build a comprehensive brand that is able to truly deliver um, in a in a very predictable, consistent service fashion uh, is hard to do. Um, and so my guess is franchising will probably serve this market best. That is the pet services market because of the local owner operated men- owner operator mentality that is um, you know critical to uh, the consumer experience in terms of consistency and quality. Um, so I see that as probably the biggest opportunity, but a hard a hard market uh, to create scalable solutions for. Those who do will will have great success, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Blythe, just uh, to wrap up my last question, and, and maybe it's an extension of what we've been talking about, um, but I'm curious uh, how you think about it. Do you feel like there's a moral or ethical dimension as well to what's taking place in the way in which we're treating our pets that have implications uh, broader implications, quite frankly, in other sectors, for example, the animal rights, the industrial farming of animals, uh, the, the rise of you know, people much more focused on uh, vegan products, being vegetarian, uh, at a minimum sort of treating farmed animals much better. Do you think that there's there's something also underpinning all of this that's going to change the way in which those categories and those products are going to come to market over the next few years as well? I'm not sure that I've seen the link between dog dog love and um, and it, you know things like industrial animal farming, even though um, that's increasingly mm-hmm. a concern. Um, back to the first part, I guess I'd say I don't. I see nothing but good that comes of the human bond with dogs. I see it actually as making us better people. The people I know that are uh, in great relationships with their dogs are some of the most happy, balanced people I know, and um, also, of course, I believe uh, have a level of compassion and empathy that is admirable. Um, so I haven't seen the direct link between those things, but I have seen a very positive moral dimension uh, come out of this dog love. 
with respect to um, you know an evolving consumer psychology around industrial or animal farming and so forth, I think that's actually being more illuminated by transparency on social media. But again, driving fear fa- you know using fear tactics, which is driving this anxiety, um, and that's the risk of using uh, social media. The other thing that is happening is climate change, and the more you study climate change, the more you understand it that this industrial uh, animal farming is uh, probably one of the biggest offenders uh, to our planet. And mm-hmm. I think as that conclusion becomes more evident, um, that that is going to be, um, in, in many ways, uh, a driver, at least I hope it will. And of course, there are lots of health and wellness trends that are driving, um, uh, you know, vegan and plant-based diets. Um, but um, my my sense is um, that the, the the bigger, more fundamental driver over time, because it's so uh, impactful to the economy, our our industrial farming society, um, that only with the um, acceptance uh, that climate change is uh, our planet's planet's biggest problem uh, will we begin to make change. And I think it only happens with the next generation who uh, isn't as wed to meat uh, as prior generations. Well, Blythe, I, I want to thank you so much for spending this time chatting with me about the psychology of the consumer. I personally find it absolutely fascinating, all of these forces in our society and how they're impacting every individual and therefore how each individual is beginning to express it through the market in terms of the brands and the products that they're buying. Um, you know, I certainly love your insights on on dogs and agree with you. As you, as you probably know, in, uh, in Buddhist countries, uh, you often go and see lots of dogs in the streets and lots of roaming dogs in towns and barking. And it's because uh, Buddhists believe in a lot of these countries that uh, uh, dogs are one stage from their next life of becoming human. They're, they're that close to us and so therefore need to be revered, respected and treated really well, which uh, uh, is uh, interesting to me and consistent, I think, with everything that you've been saying about how it's playing out here in the West as well. So so with that, I want to say thank My next dog will be named Buddha. <laughs> there you go exactly <laughs> um, so thanks for joining us it's been a terrific conversation and uh, uh, appreciate you sharing all of your insights and vision on what's uh, taking place here and uh, uh, and good luck with all of uh, your future investments in and around this space as well well thank you I can't uh, uh, tell you how uh, inspired I was by reading uh, your book Retail Seismic Ship Shift as uh, part of uh, developing uh, some uh, extended thinking uh, on these categories, and uh, it's always great to be uh, in your presence and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts. Same here as well. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to ShopCast, talking retail strategy. Please join host Michael Dart for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And check out past episodes at any time on demand. We hope you enjoy your week.